Hey everybody! Welcome to Nonstop Chit Chai with your hosts Navi and Novera, where we literally chat nonstop about brown people things like marriage, aunties, fair and lovely, and basically everything a third culture kid experiences in today's world. Nonstop Chit Chai. Let's chat. Today's episode is Life, Liberty, and the Pressures of Marriage. We talk about where these pressures come from, we give you a bit of history on marriage, and we even talk about how Novera was ambushed in the motherland by her family to meet a boy. For reals. We also chat with sociology professor Farah Tharnikar and filmmaker Sarita Kurana about their work focusing on marriage practices. Let's chat. So Novera, tell me why I'm here and what we're doing here. Okay. So... Kind of going back, this was a few months ago, I was getting ready for bed, and I couldn't stop thinking about something that my 13-year-old cousin had said to me. I was in Pakistan for a wedding, and we know we're just hanging out with the family, and this, again, let me reiterate, 13-year-old cousin of mine comes up to me and goes, how old are you? And I told him, I said, oh, I'm 29. And the look on his face, he looked at me, shocked, and goes, how shameful you're 29 and not married you're never going to get married by the time you're 30. (laughs) it's not his fault that he's been conditioned to think like this and so i thought why does he think like this why do people still think like this in order to change perspectives in order to open our minds to something we need to talk about it and i thought how are we going to do that do i start a blog Eh, that's kind of like been there done that do we start a vlog it's too much to do And then I thought, what if we did a podcast? Because the whole purpose is to discuss and a podcast is the best way to start a discussion. And then I was thinking, okay, I'm not going to sit here and talk by myself, which I'm doing right now. (laughs) And so I want somebody who I can do this with. And I wanted somebody who was smart, eloquent, open-minded, and of course, someone I got on with, right? Because we know how uh, my personality is very type A. And so, and and someone I trusted with getting work done. And at that point, it just clicked in my head. I was like, who better than Navi? Like, you basically checked off every single one of those characteristics. And so that's sort of um, how we started. And that's why I picked you. Yeah. And I remember getting that call at like 1130 at night on a random Tuesday. Novera texts me and she's like, hey, are you awake? Can I call you? And I'm like, sure, call me. And I get the call and she's like, Navi. I have the best idea. Are you ready for it? Nonstop chit chai. Let's start a podcast. And I'm like, I'm in. And next thing you know, we started working on the podcast and today we're here and we're really excited to be here. Right. And so this is our first episode. And today we are talking about life, liberty, and the pressures of marriage. Exactly. It's very topical in all of our lives. And we all come from different backgrounds, Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, Nepali, Sri Lankan, or any mix of them. In all of us, I think in some form or the other, whether it's from our parents, whether it's at a party, you know, it's the question, when are you getting married? So, Novera, why don't you tell me, when are you getting married? (laughs) The age-old question that every auntie asks anytime I go to any party. So I normally answer with, tomorrow you didn't get the memo, because I'm so tired of hearing this. When I graduated from undergrad, my mom started 
setting me up with people. And it was just these random guys. She was like, oh, so-and-so has a son and you are a girl and therefore let's set you up. And at first I was very hesitant to it because I didn't understand and I'm not a very traditional person in that sense. And I tried it. I tried the whole emailing back and forth thing. That didn't go well. There was one guy who was very obsessed with Star Wars and wouldn't <laughs> stop emailing me about Star Wars characters mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and making references to how life was like Yoda and life uh, didn't make sense to me. <laughs> and I went to my mom and I said, Ma, do you see me with this person? I feel like there needs to be some sort of a match. And I think my mom was so desperate. She goes, um, yeah, yeah, why not? And to me, that frustrated me so much that my mom and I started fighting. And so it constantly was this battle that whenever my mom would bring up marriage or she would bring up a new proposal or somebody who she, you know, I heard from auntie so-and-so who heard from auntie so-and-so that there's a boy in Chicago who's a doctor and you should meet him. I'm like, do you know anything about him? No. Okay, except that he's a doctor and he's from a good family. I'm like, but that doesn't mean anything. You know, they don't look at the compatibility between the boy and the girl. They just look at, he's a boy, you're a girl. Maybe he comes from a good family. End Mm -hmm. of story. And so my mom and I, we went days at one point without speaking at all. Yeah. And how are things now between you guys? I mean, now it's much, much better. So she's resorted to the uh, whenever it's meant to be philosophy now. (laughs) But it's only natural for our parents to want that companionship for us, especially when that's what they've been conditioned to believe. Exactly. I pretty much get the similar conversation, except... I get it a little bit more from my dad. It's funny and a little bit awkward. He actually ended up creating a Shadi.com profile for oh me. Shadi.com for just everyone, marriage.com. He didn't put my picture. All it was was just seek female, New York. These are her credentials. And he started getting all of these requests for people to get to want to know me or people's parents would message him and want to talk it was just really really awkward and then he would just basically forward me emails with potential matches (gasps) and I also got to a point where I'm like dad I don't think I would be compatible with this person. Maybe this is not the type of person that I want to be with for the rest of my life. He would also get frustrated with me. I think he thought that I was being a bit superficial, but once again, this is someone we're going to spend our entire lives right. with. And I think he's also finally resorted to the, when? you know what? I'm just not even going to ask anymore. <laughs> and it's kind of a relief that I don't get that question, but you know, it's on our minds almost every day. That's true. But please tell me that you remember some of these messages because I would love to know what the aunties were saying to you. I honestly don't have the password to the account and I'm really happy I don't have the password. (laughs) So going off that, like, let's start with why marriage has been given such an emphasis in our culture. I'm sure that we could pick up any brown person on the street and say, tell me about a time when you were pressured to get married. And I think that everyone will have a story to tell there. So let's talk about why marriage existed and why it's so important. Marriage has a few purposes. Marriage is a union of a man and a woman. That's what it's been traditionally. And it's socially and formally recognized. And the goals of a marriage are for the two people to take care of each other, to reproduce, and to have some sort of um, interpersonal intimacy. And then you take it one step further, and it's such a milestone in life, especially in South Asian cultures, where no one asks you, when are you graduating, or how's your job going, or what are your career goals? Instead, they always ask you, when are you getting married, or it's your time now, or what's your plan, or is there a boy who you like? 
And I actually have family abroad that whenever I ask them, when are you visiting the States? The response they give me is, whenever you get married. And that drives me nuts because one, what if I don't get married? But two, what if I don't get married in the States? But three, also it's not just about getting that question, but it's about us being conditioned to believe that marriage equals success. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if, you, if you, you're not married, it creates all these feelings of inadequacy. And I think that's the biggest issue, uh, particularly with the pressures of marriage in South Asian groups. Yep, exactly. And it's interesting, Novera, I think I sent you this article, people who are married are treated differently in South Asian cultures than people who are not married. And just like you said, it's like a self-worth question, right? It's like you've achieved this milestone once you've gotten married. So a couple of stats that we had found in the late 1990s in India, Bangladesh, and Pakistan, nearly 99% of women got married. Granted, that number is probably lower now that sure. you know we're in 2018. And in that same time period, so from the late 1990s to 2018, the average age of marriage in the South Asian subcontinent, particularly India, Bangladesh, and Nepal, increased from 15 years old to 18. And in Pakistan, increased from 18 years to 22 years. Is That's it? actually pretty interesting. Yeah, I've always found that fascinating when we studied that because... You would think, especially with like a larger Muslim population where getting married at a younger age is more, you know, it's given more importance, that Pakistan was one of the countries that had a higher, like the the age range was a little higher than that of India and Bangladesh and Nepal, which that was very surprising to us. Yeah. And a lot of the federal governments in South Asia have tried to raise the minimum legal age for marriage, but it's really hard to monitor. How can you monitor what age people are getting married in countries that are just so large? And it's just the cultural norm of getting married at a young age just trumps the law. Always, always. And even the the laws that exist, those are really fascinating too. So there's the Hindu Marriage Act in India that requires a boy to be 21 and a girl to be 18 in order to be legally married. And then in Pakistan, a guy has to be 18 and a girl 16. So again, it kind of doesn't match up with the statistics of when people are getting married versus what the law says. And so that goes to your point of how cultural norms will always trump the law, especially in South Asian communities. Totally. In Sri Lanka, families are actually less patriarchal and that's because women are more educated. So more educated women are getting married and it creates more of an equality in the household. And I think that's something that in our generation is going to be happening and we're going to be seeing that a lot more. 100%. And a quick fun fact, actually, the term wedding is the most Googled term in Pakistan. (laughs) And I don't know if that has to do with the marriage itself or the obsession with having a wedding in Pakistan, but that will be a topic, I think, for another conversation. The same issues that we're talking about now have crossed continents. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter whether you are Pakistani in Pakistan or Indian in India. Those forces and those pressures have crossed waters and we still face them here. I mean, we're living in 2018 in a Western world where women have a lot of rights, but you still have a lot of similar pressures that people face back home. And it's not even just pressures of women, right? It's not exclusive to women. It's also very much pressures that men face as well. Oh, definitely. And our brothers face that also. Oh, definitely, yeah. My brother graduated from dental school and then people would say, oh, congratulations, when are you getting married now? There was no break in between. Beta, now it's time to find a good wife. Actually, one study found that being married is 20 times more important to a person's well-being than income, mm-hmm. which is blasphemy, basically, because think about that. Like, it's more important to be married than it is to make an income. 
But then again, it's not about marriage itself, right? It's about the act of being married. It's about the pressure that we get from all forces around us. So we've got parents, we've got extended family, the community, and then even our own friends. A lot of these pressures are not intentional, but they exist. Yep. And the point of today's topic and today's discussion is to learn that they do exist and to learn how to deal with them despite them existing. Mm -hmm. We just want to take a quick moment to say thank you to Zayn Lodia of Aftersound for our awesome tunes and of course Fatima Beg for our cover art. You guys should check them out on Instagram. They were amazing. They were amazing to work with and we love the end product. Now back to the discussion. Let's just start with our parents. I feel like with parents, a lot of it is us feeling emotionally blackmailed. Basically us feeling like we have an obligation to get married and us feeling guilty right. that we're not married by a certain age. Right. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the concept of emotional blackmailing, it's basically where someone preys on your fear or your guilt or obligations, just as, as Navi mentioned. So for example, my mom has said this to me before, and if she's listening, hi mom, uh, I still love you no matter how many stories about you I tell. <laughs> she said, your grandfather was 50 when you were born, and your father is now 60, and we still have no grandkids. It's this guilt almost as though, why are you not married? Why don't you have grandkids? Yeah. Um, and I can guarantee that most parents, when they say this, they don't mean it in a, in a negative way or in a way to hurt their children. But a very unintended consequence is that you are hurting your children. You are making them feel bad for not being in a position that you wish they were and for feeling kind of inadequate. Exactly. It's almost as if they think that they've failed themselves or they failed what their role is as a parent. Have you seen The Big Sick, Novera? Yeah, I actually did. Do you remember the whole story of him trying to keep his parents happy and coming home every day and meeting new girls, but at the same time he was still dating somebody else? It's like you want to fulfill your duty as a child as well, and you want to make sure that your parents are happy, but at the same time it's like you're living a double life. Speaking of the big sick, the culture of dating, especially in Muslim communities, it, it doesn't exist. So it's like no dating, no dating, no dating, no dating. Bam, you're 22. Okay, time to get married. Yeah. <laughs> but this whole time, I wasn't allowed to date. So it's kind of this dichotomy of you're not allowed to be with a boy, but now all of a sudden you have to be with a boy and this pressure that adds up and your expectations that you're supposed to live up to. And honestly, that parental pressure sometimes even comes from extended family. I feel that pressure very significantly and I most recently just felt it this past December. I basically was having a conversation with one of my extended uncles and he showed me a picture of this guy and he said, do you think he's cute? Oh, these are his credentials, he's great, he was cute. And I said, yeah, he's cute, give him my number, right? That was my way of kind of saying, sure, 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 like get on with it type of thing, get on with my own life. Little did I know the next day, my mom's brother woke me up to say, hey, Novera, quickly get up. That guy from the picture yesterday is coming, over. I actually in that moment was very livid because I felt a little as though I had been ambushed and I couldn't say anything at that point because they'd already invited this guy over. I refused to wear shalvar kameez, so traditional clothes. I was like, I'm gonna go in jeans, I'm not gonna serve tea. And we went down and he was sitting in a room with my mom, my dad, my uncle, my aunt, and another one of my uncles, and just him. And it was the most awkward situation I had ever been in. And you know, we talked and it was very awkward and my mom told me at the very end, she goes, you know, if you guys wanna go for coffee, that's fine, go and hang out. He was lovely, we had a wonderful time and we enjoyed each other's company. 
And my mistake was, as soon as I got back, I told that to everybody that was involved in this. So all the uncles, all the aunts, like the entire extended family. And they're like, how was it? Did you have a good time? Do you want to see him again? What did you think of him? And again, I just felt so ambushed and so pressured. And I explained that to them, but they just didn't get it. And to make matters even worse, two days later, I'm standing with my mom and my mom goes, oh, by the way, uh, I just wanted to let you know that his parents are coming tomorrow. <laughs> Convenient. Right? And at that moment, I just blew up with my mom. I said, look, if they're coming to ask for my hand in marriage, my answer is no. You cannot do this. I felt so ambushed and I felt yeah. so pressured into saying yes into something because he checks all the boxes. Yep. I mean, it was a very new experience for me. But it was this pressure that I not only felt for my parents, but my mom's brother was involved. His wife was involved. My mom's relative, who's not even a blood relative, was involved. Like, I just felt very trapped. Yeah. And I felt very ambushed. And I felt very forced. Yeah. Something similar happened to me when I was actually in my mid-20s. So at this point, luckily, my parents weren't really talking about marriage, but I had gone to India and it was at a wedding. And that night after one of the events, my mom is like, Navi, I have to talk to you about something important. Well, your Masi, someone on her side of the family saw you at the wedding and they're interested in you. And your Masi really wants you to talk to him tomorrow and meet the family. And I said, mom, I'm not interested in any of this. And who is this random person? Like, right. I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, you have to respond because otherwise your Masi is going to get mad at me because now her reputation looks bad. Now I have to feel bad to keep my Masi happy as well. And so we get these pressures and we get this feeling of guilt. And a lot of it is this emotional blackmailing. Right. right. And that extended family extends to, you know, your grandfather's sister's husband's second daughter's Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Mean auntie. Oh, yeah, I remember her. <laughs> exactly. And then we come to one of the biggest pressures. Community is a massive one. And the community pressure is not only as to us, the individuals who people are pressuring to get married, but also on our parents, right? A lot of times, my parents, I'm sure your parents have said this too, is Lo kya kehenge? what will people say mm -hmm. is that you're, you're this many years old and you're still unmarried, they're gonna think X, Y, Z. And I personally don't prescribe to that whole, what are other people going to think? But, but that is a thing in the South Asian community. It's like the keeping up with the Joneses effect. Everybody around you is married, they have have a house, they have a child, all by these certain ages, and you're one of the few people that hasn't, you know, followed that same exact path. And, you know, you want to keep up with the community and you want to make sure that you're not missing out and you want to make sure that you're still treated the same way everyone else is being treated. So this community pressure, I feel like, is just so huge because eventually parents and family, they want our happiness at the end of the day. But with the community, we want to keep up and we want to make sure that we are being fully accepted. Brings us then to the next pressure, which is our friends. Yeah. And I know that our friends, again, all of these people, minus maybe the community members, but everyone kind of has your best interest at heart most of the time, right? Even with friends. So nobody really does it intentionally, but sometimes you'll sit with other women and the conversation starts off some, as something really interesting and it turns into, you know, what wedding song would I do my entrance at or what wedding ring fitting or save the date invites or my color schemes or like my photographer and this and that. And I'm guilty of it too. But I'm thinking, why? Why is this something that I am thinking about? And I realize again, it's, it's, it's the pressure. 
pressures, right? It's yep. like your friends will talk about it. Then you'll have friends that are actually getting married and they're talking about it. Exactly. And you're thinking, how glamorous. Like, I want this for myself. And we're really, they're talking about the wedding versus the marriage. Yeah. And that's another problem is I think there's too much of an emphasis yep. on the wedding versus the marriage itself. Right. I was reading this article the other day and in her 30s, a woman is writing about one of her experiences and she's at a wedding. One of the girls comes up to her and they start chatting about the wedding and how they know the couple. And then all of a sudden the girl's like, well, that's my husband over there. Where's your husband? Why don't we all go sit together? And the girl who's writing the article says, well, I'm not married. I'm just here by myself with my friends. And immediately the other woman just looks at her and says, okay, well, nice to meet you. I'll see you later. And the the author who wrote the article was like, wow, that was an abrupt ending to the conversation as soon as she heard that I was single. And she questioned herself. She's like, is there something wrong with me? Am I not fit enough because I'm unmarried? Why did she have to treat me that way? Brings us to one of the last pressures is social media. Right. Just scrolling through Facebook, scrolling through Instagram. Everyone around you seems to be in this happy state and it's so amplified with social media right because social media is everyone's highlight reel right it's like every time you go on it's oh look so-and-so got engaged so-and-so is having a destination wedding off the coast of (laughs) Koh Samui and you know whatever it's beautiful and honestly I'm, I'm very happy for these people but a part of me starts to feel like there's something wrong with me that I am not living up to these expectations and I start to feel as though I have not really accomplished anything in life but then I have to stop Exactly. Pause and just remind myself of everything that I have accomplished. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really easy to get caught up in people's social media highlight reel. Well, I've actually slowly started to block those people. So I would rather see memes of cute puppies and Kylie Jenner becoming a self-made billionaire. So <laughs> Self-made, right? <laughs> I think that it's important to recognize that these pressures exist in order to understand that they may or may not be intentional, but once we recognize the existence of these pressures, that's when we can start to figure out how to deal with them in our own ways. Exactly, and basically how to cope with them in a healthy way and how to make sure that we are not putting ourselves down when we start thinking about this. Just keep reminding yourself that everyone has their own timeline. Whether that's now or whether that's in 10 years, what's meant to be for you, that's going to happen. We spoke with a couple of people who are a bit more knowledgeable than us in the area. So let's hear from them. Saritha Karana is a director, producer, and educator based in Brooklyn, New York. Karana's feature film, A Suitable Girl, world premiered in the 2017 Tribeca Film Festival Documentary Competition section and won the Best New Documentary Director Prize. A Suitable Girl is a film about young women in India who struggle to maintain their identities amid pressures to marry. As you are making the documentary, what do you think defines a suitable girl in the South Asian culture? The word suitable is kind of code for a variety of characteristics. A suitable girl is a girl who's supposed to be the right age, have the right body type and looks, come from the right family, uh, have the right social status, even have the right personality. You know, these suitable characteristics make up a suitable girl or boy. So they're kind of normative characteristics that ask women and even men to fit into certain kinds of molds about being the right type of person who's of a marriageable age. Why do you think marriage is viewed as such a defining part of one's identity and such a milestone? It is considered 
a huge rite of passage to adulthood. Men and women, regardless of how old you are, are considered boys and girls until they get married. Oh, we need to find a right match for the girl. We need to find a right match for the boy. And even the terminology around marriage makes the person who's getting, who wants to get married, you know, an infant. We wanted to, um, you know, also ask you about your personal pressures regarding marriage. I grew up in a pretty male-dominated, patriarchal, extended family. And yeah, so definitely I wasn't allowed to date. I didn't really, couldn't really hang out with too many boys who were friends. And there was always this sort of expectation that I would get married at a certain age. As long as you were in school, in college, and you were doing your education, that was good. But then after, you were expected to get married. Once, I think I was like 26 or something, I found out that my parents put an ad in India abroad about <laughs> without my permission or knowledge. And, you know, and they got a bunch of responses. And most of the time I would resist. I was really resistant to the idea of going on one of these arranged marriage dates. But every once in a while I would acquiesce just because the pressure was so intense and I just wanted to get them off my back. And so I would go out on a couple of these dates. It was always a disaster. But I would go on these dates, I would acquiesce, and then they would get off my back for a little while. And then, you know, throughout my 20s and 30s, I would have these conversations with them about why does marriage have to be the be all and end all of one's life? And of course, you know, as a young person, your parents are telling you, if you don't get married by 30, your life is going to be over. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you're not going to like, you're going to be lonely and old and, you know, you're going to suffer and you're die by yourself. And, and so it was great when I hit 30 and I wasn't married and I was like, wow, I'm okay. And my life is okay. Every time I think like we've settled it and it's done and they're cool with me not being married, it come it somehow my mom still brings it up. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been with my partner for a couple of years and they've been the most chill they've ever been in their lives. You know, where they're cool with us living together, but inevitably my mom at some point will take me aside and be like, So what's any news? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm 30 and Novera's almost 30, so I guess we're going to look forward to uh, spending the rest of our lives alone. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> you're right. To, just... And then you'll get to 40 and you'll be like, oh, yeah, that, that was yeah. even less true. <laughs> can, can you tell our listeners how they can find you and learn more about the work that you've done? Sure. Well, you can see the film, A Suitable Girl, out on Amazon Prime. It's streaming on Amazon Prime, iTunes, Google Play. You can also check out our website, a suitablegirl.doc.com uh, or our Facebook page. And you can check out my website, sorrythecorona.com, for more information and to find the other work we've done. Farah Thurnikar is an associate professor of sociology at Lemoyne College in New York. She teaches sociology of marriage and family, food and culture, and race, class, and gender. She has authored several articles on ethnicity and immigrant identity in the Journal of Ethnic Studies, International Journal of Contemporary Sociology, and Sociology Compass. She's actually coming out with a book called Desi Divas, which examines culinary and domestic consumption among Pakistani immigrant women. Farah, thanks for joining us. Uh, we are really excited for you to be here. Tell us a little bit about the research that you did. What did you know? How did you conduct it, and what were you 
hoping to find and what did you actually end up finding? Basically, we were looking at um, trends amongst second generation South Asian immigrants in terms of marriage patterns in the Chicago area, but comparatively looking at Muslims versus Hindus versus Indian Christians. And what did you end up finding? Well, I felt like the most surprising finding was I just went into the project thinking that the Indian Christians would have a higher rate of dating rather than arranged marriages. And I also thought Indian Christians would have uh, more exogamy marrying outside since they're Christian. And I just thought that the religion variable would be would determine it. But what I found is that in Chicago, there are a lot of conservative Indian Christians. And so, you know, the social norm is to marry inside that particular type of Christianity, which is also South Indian. So there was actually very low rate of both love marriages as well as marrying outside amongst Indian Christians. The one theme that I found in the research was that the older a woman is when she gets married, she's more likely to challenge the norms of her parents, her community, both culturally and religiously. And age, and especially in the South Asian communities, often uh, correlates with a higher level of education. Did you at all have the parental perspective or the first generation? And have you noticed a shift in the way that the first and the second generation handles pressures of marriage and, and the, the norms behind getting married? Right. Well, so I didn't interview any first generation immigrants. I define second generation in this study as either people that were born and raised in the United States or North America or Canada, or those that had come over by the time that they before they were five years old. And I would say that the differences I found were were basically just from like informal conversations I've had with people in the community would say that first generation immigrants often will place a larger emphasis on cultural community and you know satiating community pressures might be more important for, for, for the first generation. And that also has to do with um, friendship networks. The first generation, we think of like our parents' generation, their friendship networks would tend to be primarily of their own ethnic and religious background. And when you look at second generation immigrants, even though more than 50% of their friends might be South Asian, they tend to have non-South Asian friends. They tend to be part of communities that might not be all of the same ethnic makeup. And so I think there's more pressure for the first generation immigrants, even those that come over now just to study from India or Pakistan or Bangladesh or Nepal, you know, to appease community pressures where the second generation, there's still community pressure, there's still family pressure, but there's other um, friendship circles that also will socialize them in terms of what they think of um, marriage expectations or dating expectations are. So actually, that's a great segue to my next question, which is going to be, can you talk a little bit more about these community pressures and particularly how they relate to marriage pressures and dating in general? Okay, sure. So I think for second generation immigrants, there are multiple levels of pressure. There's the larger community in terms of how strongly their own families are in terms of the community, how strongly their community um, also is kind of integrated into their own social lives. The young people that are being raised in these ethnic immigrant communities are more likely to have more social pressure. But if their parents opt out or their parents are not middle class or of a professional class and they don't are not included, the pressure might not be the same. So there's community pressure, but I think it varies depending on how integrated your parents friendship circles are in these immigrant communities. That's like one level. And then I think a second level of pressure comes from extended family members. I think then the other kind of variables that come into play are friendship circles and peer networks. 
because there are young people that socialize each other in, ter in terms of their expectations that if dating is okay, if semi-arranged marriage is okay, arranged marriages are okay. You, we often learn these norms also from the friends that we have. And then I think the fourth level of pressure can come from the religious community, right? So depending on if you're Hindu, Muslim, Christian, you know, there's like the larger South Asian community, but then there's also particular religious communities. And even within Hinduism and in Islam in particular, there are more conservative and more liberal, you know, branches and communities. And why do you why do you think that marriage is viewed as such a defining part of someone's identity in the South Asian community? I think in the South Asian community, marriage is often still associated with being an adult. And often I see this particularly with women, you know, you see the you see the younger um, women who are getting married at 22, 23 that have kids by the time they're 29. They seem to get that status of adulthood when they're younger because they've gotten married and had children. But then, you know, so many South Asian women are not getting married till they're 30. They finish graduate school. They go to med school 35. And it's like they have this kind of prolonged, you know, adultescence. I like to use the term because they're not married. So they're often not seen as adults, right? So I think that has a lot to do with why there's such an emphasis on marriage within the community. Because parents and community members want everyone to get married, become adults, and settle down, right? And I think adulthood is really, really seen as related to getting married, if not also getting married and having kids. Unfortunately, I think there's some kind of status that young people gain when they get married by a certain age. And I think it's unfortunate that, the, you know, if you don't get married by the time you're 35 for a woman or by the time maybe you're 40 for a man, that you're not given that same social status. And you see that even in terms of social networks, right? How, you know, how people are invited to dinner parties or weddings or celebrations. I think a lot of those things play out. And just like in non-South Asian community in the United States, right? being a couple it has social status i mean there's research that also shows that once you're a couple you have access to more social networks right you have your single friends you have your married friends you have your coupled friends and so after 35 you start to see these things kind of happen even outside the immigrant community when we it's funny when i teach about privilege i often start with talking about white privilege class privilege gender privilege but i say people that are married have privilege in american society too everything from the tax breaks to how you're treated in society the percentage of a divorce is much lower for people that get married after 25, and you often can think about things, you know, more, I think, strategically. But that being said, all of us have friends that got married when they were 21 and 22 and are still happy when women can wait if they have the ability to wait till after 25, <laughs> that often they are able to think about their decisions more clearly and, with, and have a little bit less pressure, because I think there is so much pressure on South Asian young women. That marriage is often seen as more important than your anything else, right? Than a career or kind of like following what, whatever it is that you really want to do. Oh, definitely. And I think that the older you are, the less pressure you get. I think that's that's the case too. Both Navi and I are in and around 30 and I feel like it's kind of died down a little bit before I would go to Pakistan and everyone would be on my case. When are you getting married? When are you getting married? Yep. This time around it was one or two people maybe because I think people are sort of giving up that right. <laughs> this right. person's oh, yes. just I never getting No, you're totally right. I feel like after I got married, I remember a cousin from Karachi emailing or texting me saying, oh, Farah, we thought you were never going to get married. Oh. Like, you know, I got an email when I was like 31. Oh, we just didn't think you were the marrying kind. It was some re something really odd like that. Oh, so, yeah. no. But I also think, you know, as, as long as we're tied to this immigrant community in the United States 
And as long as we're tied to India and Pakistan as closely as we are, we're always going to have some level of pressure because there's always going to be that pressure from home. And even though we have cousins who've had love marriages back in India and Pakistan, there's still that tradition of arranged marriages. If for no other reason, it's parents and community members wanting to maintain ethnic and religious endogamy, right? And so there's this fear that if you let your daughters especially marry out, they're no longer going to be, you know, practicing Hindus or Muslims or Sikhs this fear that the culture and religion is going to be diluted. So that's, I mean, that's kind of what I think about when I think about the future. There's always going to be a little bit of that pressure, even with the third and fourth generation. What is your favorite South Asian dish and why? I think my favorite South Asian dish is actually chicken biryani because it makes me think of my mom. (laughs) That's a great choice. (laughs) Yeah. This podcast is only as good as the people who listen, support, and share their stories with us. We are so humbled to have received stories about your experiences, stories that are close to your heart, stories that are often guarded. We wanted to take some time to share them. These stories speak for themselves. So this story comes to us from a 31-year-old female. Growing up, my parents told me I cannot date. Boyfriends were so frowned upon that girls kept it a secret because they were afraid of what other people would say. My mom wanted me to get married around my mid-twenties and expected me to pick someone she chose or bring someone home that I wanted to marry. What sense does that make for someone not allowed to even date? Anyway, if I had the chance to change things, I would not. Waiting to find the right person that I picked brought me steps closer to finding my current husband. So this is a story that one of our 25-year-old female listeners shared with us. Though I could always be transparent with my mom about relationships, some of the comments I got were not always supportive. Failed relationships were immediately my fault. Why can't you keep a man, etc. New relationships were criticized. You know your father will never approve of anyone who's not Desi. And when I wasn't drawn to someone, she just suggested, you're too picky. The thought of what if they're right is constantly lingering in the back of my head. I have to continuously convince myself that I'm going to be all right. I've been in relationships before, and although they haven't worked out, I've learned what I like and don't like in a partner. I've seen too many marriages among my peers fail because they jumped into something too soon due to external pressures from their family or community. I'm going to do what I can to make sure that I'm marrying someone for the right reasons. When they ask, when will you be getting married? I just respond now with, inshallah, when Allah wills it, which usually shuts them up pretty quick. Shouts out to God for that one. This story comes from one of our 32-year-old male listeners. In my junior year of college, my parents were talking about marriage. The question was not, hey, is there anyone you have in mind? But rather, it's time for us to start looking for someone. Right then and there, my first reaction was, shoot. They looked many places, different countries, continents, but were not finding someone that they felt was a right match. During an unplanned trip to Montreal, my parents visited one of their old friends. When they returned to New York, my mother approached me about going to Montreal to visit one of their oldest friends. I had a gut feeling what it was about and was hell-bent on not going. I was not too fond of the concept of arranged marriage and on top of that long distance. But my brother-in-law convinced me to just go. And before I knew it, I was in Montreal, sitting in Asma's living room, being introduced to her casually. We had the opportunity to talk. From then, we kept things casual and simply spoke as friends for a while. After some time, I let my parents know to move talks further, and the rest is history. I feel that the concept of arranged marriage is changing significantly. It seems that parents are not engaging in arranged marriage without the consent of their kids. I was blessed in that sense that while it was somewhat arranged, I had a say. 
Salameter, where we score something everyone is talking about on how hot it is. We go from cumin, pretty bland, not much going on, to trouble tamarind, a little sweet and spicy, to garam masala, where it's getting hotter, ladies and gentlemen, and all the way to tsalamilch, where it's just too hot to handle. So Navi, what's the scoop? So Priyanka Chopra, or as we know her, PC, and Nick Jonas of the Jonas Brothers are engaged. PC obviously doesn't need to explain herself to anyone, so move over, Mr. Worldwide. PC is feeling exotic and has got the Jonas Brother in her chains. You got me in chains. You got me in chains for your love, but I wouldn't change. So Novera, where's that on the masala meter? Listen. Anyone who's breaking all these barriers deserves to get the highest of high on the masala meter, the lal Because listen, he is younger than her, shorter than her, he's white, and he's not a doctor. So think about it. This girl is doing what all of us are so afraid to do. She's breaking beyond those stereotypes and those expectations of, of marriage, right? And I know some people are upset that he's not dizzy, but you know what? Marriage has become this qualification now, unfortunately. Versus when it started, it was more of a civil union for practical purposes. Now you need an MRS degree to be taken seriously. For most South Asians, young, old, men, women, marriage is a hardwired mindset, an obsession. Even before we're born, the sole purpose of our life is to get married. It doesn't matter how well-educated, self-sufficient, or well-rounded you are, if you're unmarried, you are inadequate in the eyes of the community, and honestly, sometimes even your friends and family. Because being happily unmarried is simply an absurd thought. But hey, we're unmarried, fitting alive, and ready to thrive. And open to dive, and being alive, gonna go take a dive, okay, okay. but avoid the hive. Okay, Navi. Doing my thing till I'm 45. All right, guys, I think this could go on a while. So this is Navi and Novera signing out from Nonstop Chit Chai. Let's chat next time.